This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt of the Cloth, our Tuesday morning Bible study as we continue the book of Exodus, and someday we might even get it finished. <laughs> but uh, we are in uh, Exodus chapter 31. Uh, we have, there's some really cool stuff that takes place in this, um, specifically kind of a conversation about the Sabbath. Uh, there's a conversation about um just kind of an understanding of the covenant that they make with God. And then as we continue to go on, uh, where human beings become dumb and the golden calf comes back into its experience. So um, it's been a while since we've had a conversation. So just to kind of reiterate, as we continue to do this, and those that are listening online, the most important thing to take in consideration with Exodus is that this is written after the fact. So the, the writers of Leviticus and Deuteronomy have already been practicing these traditions for, for who knows how long. And the idea is, is that we're trying to get to the point where uh, it explains why they do the things that they do backwards. Like it's like we go back in time and try to explain why it is that we do the things uh, that we do for the name of God. And, and so there's some, some really neat things. There's a lot of stuff that uh, we are supposed to have already known. Like it's stuff that we supposed to have grown up with and you're just supposed to know why they do these things. Um, and, and obviously we don't. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I would say that probably most rabbinical scholars would say the same thing. Like we don't exactly know why they wrote this or why they put it this way in there, but the goal was to be helpful. Um, and sometimes, like we all know, that when you give somebody instructions on how to do something, uh, sometimes they're helpful to you inside your mind. But when we hand it out to somebody, it doesn't help them out at all. So, <clears throat> so this is this is kind of why I'm making a big deal out of this. Well, the conversation about the Sabbath specifically, you're already supposed to know uh, that the Sabbath is not something that you get to argue about like it, you don't it's just supposed to be something that you you practice on a regular basis um and then everything else that we read in chapter 31 you're you're just supposed to know that this is just the way life is supposed to be um when complete with the master builders and why they build things the way they do things and um the hardest part for me is, is as i'm redoing this conversation with you is this my brain has been so much into the roman empire for my class next week that it's hard to switch gears and go into this time frame because at this time frame they're fully imprisoned like i mean they're fully enslaved they're they're again being occupied by a different culture uh, when i say being enslaved they're still able to ride they're still able to put stuff together and they're able to operate in their own processes but this is post-exilic time so they're they've been out in exile now they're they're not but now they're still under submission of another empire prior to the roman empire so a lot of the language that they use is to reflect no i can, I can say this when you look at the new testament a lot of the language that they use specifically is to not just necessarily challenge the status quo amongst themselves but to challenge the status quo under the boot if you will of the roman empire 
So a lot of the language that Jesus uses even about give Caesar what Caesar's, like is to is not necessarily a slam. It's literally to say in this environment that you find yourselves in, this is what you have to do in order to survive. So then you get to the Hebrew Bible. There, there is none of that. There is no subvertive language. This is just this is what you're supposed to do. So there's not a, a competition of the impending empire. It's a it's a it's a competition amongst ourselves. Does that make sense? Kind of. Okay. You say they use the language. Who is they? So this this generation. Yeah, we don't know exactly when, but we know that it's it's after they've been in exile. We know that they who they have oh the Israelites okay. Israelites okay. yeah and they're not and it's technically <clears throat> they're they're probably yes yeah, it's, it's a it's a group of people that are a part of twelve different tribes that are one right they call themselves Israel but there's twelve different sections of Israel. But the people that are hearing this are not all 12 tribes, right? So this is part of the major misunderstanding is that all 12 tribes heard this. That's, that's not true because at some point they disperse. And what ends up happening is, is the language, the Torah, uh, they all have the Torah, but much later. The diaspora eventually get it. They all get all of this stuff, but not everybody's hearing this at the same time out of the 12 tribes which is why there's so much language about keeping them together doing these things together because if israel is strong all 12 tribes will be together right because then if you do it this way then then everybody is participating which is the goal of all religious movements in a family and a family yeah yeah like that. and it's 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 not a coincidence that the Hebrew culture is tied to the lineage of Abraham, right? Like that's that this familial thing is, is very important to them. We go to church together. We worship God together. We do these things for the glory of God together. Why? Because we're one part of the family, God becoming our father, you know, we becoming God's children. And it's not just us. This is one of those things that Robert very quickly points out that, you know, we're still talking about a tribe that's wandering around in the desert. However, that tribe wandering around the desert runs into other people. And how are we supposed to deal with those other people? Well, the Torah would say those are children of God. They just haven't been adopted yet. So it's, it's beautiful language, but it's, it, that's the audience. These people that are wandering and they're running into people and going, oh my goodness, how are we supposed to deal with these Hittites or these Amorites or, you know, Jebusites and the Moabites for some reason, historically become, uh, I wouldn't call them, yeah, they're enemies. Oh, it's not your face, uh, the, the Moabite people have such a tie to them that you get bits and pieces of them throughout their history. I mean, like Ruth, she's a Moabite woman. Uh, you get Moabite women that participate in Israel all the way through to the end. Um, 
and, and it shows this interconnectivity to the outside tribes. It's beautiful language. Why does this matter? Well, it, it, it all starts here in the Torah. The problem with this is, again, we're also reading this backwards. <laughs> you know, Exodus comes later. Uh, this, this, this is supposed to be before any of that stuff was established. So with that being said, let's, uh, let's begin reading, and, and we'll have lots of opportunity to talk today. The Lord spoke to Moses. See, I have singled out by name Bezazel, son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. I've endowed him with the divine spirit of skill, ability, and knowledge in every kind of craft. Listen to that language. In every kind of craft. To make design for work in gold, silver, and copper. To cut stones for setting and to carve wood. To work in every kind of craft. Moreover, I have assigned to him uh, a whole Ayub, son of, mm -hmm, yeah. of the tribe of Dan, and I have also granted skill to all who are skillful, that they may make everything that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant, and the cover upon it, and all of the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand and all of its fittings, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and its utensils, and the labor and its stand, the service vestments, the sacral vestments of Aaron the priest, and the vestments of his son, sons for their service as priests, as well as the anointing oil and the aromatic incense for the sanctuary. Just as I have commanded you, they shall do. So what a, what a brilliant way, right? Uh, verse, less, uh, verse 11 does this thing where um, they, they bring it the question is, we've spent like probably what the last 10 to 12 chapters talking about how these things, what these things are supposed to be. And the next question, the logical question is, how are they going to know to do that? How are they going to know how to do that? And, and who's going to do it? Right. So in 11 verses, they say, oh, yeah, these people will. And it sets up the working class. Did you catch that? So you have priests. We spent a long time talking about these priests. Now it's establishing, and these people from the tribe of Judah will be our craftsmen. And they will do this, 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 and this. Who, who are the priests from? What tribe? Uh, Levi. Levi. So now you've got the tribe of Levi that's taking care of spiritual things. Now you've got the tribe of Judah that's taking care of the hands on things. That's my favorite part. Um, oh, and, and notice that the design doesn't change. The designs of the things are purely of God's. The people have to build it the way that God wanted. There's a, a mutual uh, relationship there that uh, I think we tend to look overlook. What's the most important part? And then I think I might be setting this up wrong. If you were to guess, what, what does the Torah establish if you're Jewish for you. Laws of behavior and worship. The laws of behavior and worship, which, which would imply what? That God is in control and you worship him. Mm -hmm. And everything that they gave to you would be in honor of God. Mm. And, and I know this sounds like it should be just 
simple, right? I mean, like it's a simple answer, but you know, I always I always joke about once God breath breathed Ruach into Ish and Isha, this 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 Adam and Adama, the idea was that they would do the will of God with their until their very last dying breath. But we don't. <laughs> they didn't to begin with. They didn't to begin with. Or are they supposed to die? Oh, Adam and Adama? No, no, they were never supposed to die. Okay. No. No, I just, and, and I just use that because it sets up the Ruach. And then after that, Abraham then has to do everything from that point on. Like, like Noah, he's a part of the story, but he ends up eventually dying, you know, and but his whole mission is to do what God has asked him to do. And God's very specific about what you're supposed to do. You're going to build an ark, Noah. It's going to be like this. When the ark lands, this is what you're supposed to do. I mean, you look at all the stories. God's specific. God gives us what we need, but we need to listen. Well, also in the first part of verse 31, or yeah, 31, it, it talks about that he has given granted skill to all who are skillful. So it also sets up your supervisor and the next in charge and the next, you know, yeah. and those yeah. that are workers. <clears throat> so it's setting up that system system of mm -hmm. which is you know if you think about it it's kind of brilliant that they're writing it this way yeah it's saying that you're not less than it's saying that your job has purpose you see how that's a big difference sociologically let's let, like let's just look at the roman empire for just a second you know you have an emperor who's the son of gods plural uh then you have uh, we'll just use it for bits and pieces just real quick you got the senate they're supposed to be representatives of these different sections of rome all over the place then you've got appointed governors and they are all over the entire empire of rome that rome has said you are in charge of getting our tax money <laughs> then you've got road builders and then you've got the the, the legion is in there somewhere you know they're but really they're they're mindless drones. They only do what the generals tell them. And the generals only get their word from the governors. So all of these drones from the governors down just do what Rome tells them to do. Well, if nobody's giving them a path, it's just wild chaos. But nobody wrote that down. You see, they, they, they've created a hierarchy in Rome, where as in here, this is equilateral importance. The, the priests are extremely important because they focus in on these things. These people, these craftspeople are extremely important because they're focusing in on these things. It does not set up a hierarchy. It sets up a, a, an equilateral movement of this is how we're going to survive. Does that make sense? I know I have to keep asking this question because in my head it makes sense, but... <laughs> Sometimes you forget words. I do. So, yeah, in the middle of it, I'm going, oh, this, it's weird. But, you know, you, you think about it, this, this, this absolutely matters. Like you, uh, you're, you're creating a different social structure where these people all have importance. Well, one's not, like you said, one's not any more important than the other. Right. According everybody to... Everybody has their niche. Everybody has their niche. Has to. Which is... A lot of counterculture to what we live in today. <laughs> As we read through this, are all of the 12 tribes going to be mentioned? Uh, no. 
No. Okay. No. So there's there's going to be a, a moment when they're going to be mentioned, but not like here's your job. Well, like you I get mean, to help the other brothers. Yeah, they the names that we can't pronounce the tribe of Dan. Uh -huh. We already know where the priests come from. So uh -huh. yeah, I was just wondering because it seems like to me this would be written when and you mentioned it earlier. Some of them have split. Mm. This is written because people are asking questions. Why? Yep. I think more than oh, we don't have anything to do today. Let's write our history. Mm -hmm. I, I think questions are being asked. Oh, big time. I mean, well, and all the time they were in um, exile, exile, or Egypt, Egypt. Babylon. That's what I'm thinking yeah. about. Yeah. Babylon. They're thinking about the fact that. We've already been split. The ones that the, the Northern Kingdom that the Assyrians took are all over everywhere because that was their plan to distribute them around so they couldn't possibly get back together. And then Babylon, they're all together. And the ones that are left, the, the tribe of Judah basically is left. Um, should be Judah and Levi, I guess, because mm -hmm. the other 10 were North. So they think, you know, this is all going to be lost altogether if we don't do something about it. It's just radical. So I writing. think they started started writing. Well, they could plant gardens um, and they were supposed to do things to support themselves, but they were in exile. So I doubt if they could do very much besides plant a garden or maybe have a few animals or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's only going to last a little while until they have to do 70 it. years. Yeah. Um, so during that time, I think they started writing just because they thought this is all going to be gone and who knows what may happen. And sure enough, Babylon gets taken over by Persia. So there's an importance. And they're to, still there. Yeah, they, I was going to say they're still, still there when Persia's there. And, and, and so when, when that when that all happens, the, the golden ends up being well, when we get to Jerusalem, because we haven't got there yet. Yeah. You know, as soon as we get there, we're going to have to create some sort of society. And if we don't have it written down, which again is extremely fascinating historically because this is one of the biggest things about the Torahs is it's one of the oldest living anthropological documents that there is creating a societal understanding of how we're supposed to do things like very few cultures have a list of rules and regulations that you're supposed to follow the Chinese probably did they e did Egyptian mostly just put up things, steels or whatever, uh -huh. to tell what they'd done in battle. And I think the Babylonians had things like that too, that told something, but they didn't have like rules for all the people or what you no. were supposed to do. I guess they didn't care about history. They cared about a battle. <laughs> that's exactly right. I guess that's where I was trying to get to. This is radical with the writing this down. I yes. Mean, yeah. Everything else is business transactions or... <laughs> you I don't know, even know if they... Like yeah. you said, Who this, won the battle? this monument's here because we won. This this says this is ours. I mean, yeah, and those are in the and to me again on the outside of that looking in, those are the things that were being uh, torn down. Like uh, was it four or five years ago when these other cultures decided to start destroying these sculptures and statues over there? That was to show where this great battle had been that had somehow survived the test of time for over three thousand years. Now we're going to go ahead and destroy it because then we're rewriting history. Yeah. You see how crazy that gets? It's not how they functioned. It's just this has happened here. Well, let's destroy that. They didn't ever exist. That's how you get rid of a culture. 
That was my whole point of that. If you want to get rid of a culture, take away their writing and, and, and erase and it. Whatever. Yeah, symbol they put up. Exactly. And then it's and then it's done. They never mm -hmm. existed. Such a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still yeah. going on. Yeah. Still going on. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, and, I, and the whole point that I'm making is, is historically, anthropologically, this is not a new thing. So the fact that Torah survived this test of time, to me, is the part that's fascinating. And it almost didn't. You know, when the Hellenists came in in 300 BCE, they, they said Hebrew has to be done away with because the language of God is Greek. And then, oh. so we, we had to get rid of all of the Hebrew writing text. They allowed them to keep the scrolls, but all of the rest of the things had to be translated into Greek, which is why Daniel and Esther and, and some of those other books are such a controversial thing because they were written in Greek and in Hebrew. Mm. You know, uh, Esther actually is written in three different languages, but all of those books uh, had to change. And so the Greeks, the Hellenists, were saying, well, we're going to get rid of that. Mm. You're going to be a part of the, the people of Greece. This is how that's going to go. It's fascinating. So here it is. You've got, now you've established the, the spiritual class and the working class. Let's keep going. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelite people and say, nevertheless, you must keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout the ages that you may know that I, the Lord, have cons consecrated you. Is that what your says, consecrated? Who makes you holy. Who makes you holy. Uh, you shall keep the Sabbath for it is holy for you. He who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his kin. Six days may work be done, but on the seventh, day there shall be a sabbath of complete rest holy to the lord whoever does work on the sabbath day shall be put to death the israelite people shall keep the sabbath observing the sabbath throughout the ages as a covenant for the people of israel for in six days the lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed when he finished speaking with him on mount sinai he gave moses the two tablets of the covenant, stone tablets inscribed with the finger of God. There it is. All right, so that's chapter 31. Listen to that violation. If you if you do anything on the Sabbath, you're, you're to be put to death. Sweet Jesus is a radical. Massive <laughs> radical. I mean, you don't heal, you don't do anything. Would Jesus be considered an Israelite then? That's a good question. He was uh, an Israelite because he was born to an Israelite woman. Yeah, that's, that's what determines Hebrew. Yeah, and, and there's there's the being a Jew. Yes, yeah. right. And, and there's yeah, a Jew instead of Hebrew. Because part of the part of the struggle that we have is, is that I have to think about this. Historically, there's a problem with him being born in that, uh, being brought up in Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth, you know, in their, in their opinion. Like it's just it's a little town. It's a little town. Nothing. I mean, and they and they make these references to him all the time, um, being brought up in Nazareth. Uh, I, I think they would have recognized him as being of the same faith, uh, being of the tribes of Israel. Yes. 
um, the struggle that the Jewish culture has with him is, is, is he a rabbi or is he a prophet? Because um, it's very rare that you have both in the same person. A prophet is one of those people that changes the way people are doing things uh, and, and no one likes them, right? <laughs> Nobody likes rabbis either, right? Or Pharisees, because that's what he would have been. It's a Pharisee. Pharisees eventually end up becoming rabbis. Rab Pharisees are the ones that teach you Torah. How do you live this out? Which is why it's such a big thing that they keep getting brought up in chapter in the Gospel of Luke specifically, because when the temple is destroyed, the only thing left is Pharisees, and they end up becoming rabbis. So they become the teachers of Torah without the temple back in exile. Do they do miracles? No, Pharisees don't do miracles. That's another problem. I mean, they're they're uh, they're teachers. So so when when Jesus comes in, he he's teaching Torah with a radical slant and then he's prophetic because prophets also have done healing isaiah does you know like twice there's uh, elisha does some weird stuff so does elijah does some weird things jeremiah does a weird thing uh the one that's always is balaam yeah balaam has a conversation with the donkey through angels and yeah and then there's the story of the calling up bears to chase after kids for making fun of him for being bald i mean like there's this uh there's these weird prophetic miracle stories so jesus is both and neither and that's why when he says the phrase i am the son of god or in some translations son of man it changes i mean at that point he has crossed the line because up until that point he wasn't doing anything against they're just trying to figure out what he is when he's when he professes himself as the son of god they're all like well we all are too no no i'm different than you are <laughs> oh well you're gonna burn in hell like you you can hear it in their head you know i was gonna say right there twice it anything he does on sundays yeah yeah he healed on the sabbath that was like the worst thing he ever did that's what the sanhedrin actually bring him to trial for you know. I, I hate to say it, but my brain has been there for years and years and years that I don't think we would react any differently to him today than they did back then. I, I, I mean, if, if you just came in and was radically challenging the, the church, and it, this is everything they believe in. I mean, God said this twice. Don't yes. do anything on the Sabbath. Yep. And one of them was plural. So he's not just... Not just this past Sunday, not this coming Sunday, but all of them. And, and notice that as he's talking about Sabbath, he's, he gives it specific details. You work for six days, yeah. that seventh day you rest. This is so that anybody that says, well, how many days has it been since we last took a Sabbath? So I don't, I don't want to get <coughs> off the rails too far, but how do we justify, rationalize you preaching on Sunday? Oh, the good question. So uh, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there becomes a conversation of what do we do on the Sabbath? So right here, they're just explaining how it's supposed to be made holy. Uh, what ends up happening is, is that there was a conversation of people migrating to the temple, um, but not for Sabbath. So you only went to Sabbath on sabbath everything was supposed to have been done and and sabbath is a to me a human defined day 
Yes, yes, it absolutely. Could be, it could be tomorrow. Sure. I mean, right. So, I mean, like, if, if we're being really technical about it, it probably would have been Saturday for us, right? And the goal then would become that at some point we would gather together and pray in the name of God. My justification has always been that Sunday's not your Sabbath. Sunday is not my Sabbath. Yeah. That's why. I mean, I mean that's that's the only way that my brain can. We have to remember Sabbath I mean, is a day of rest. Right. So, yeah. And, and, and so for them, the priests would hold these moments or the Pharisees would teach, but then they too had to take a day of Sabbath. Um, I'm trying to remember, I feel like my, my rabbi friend in Lynchburg, I think what happened was she did a synagogue on Saturday and then Sunday was, no, Friday, yeah, Friday was uh, her day off. So the day before Sabbath she took off because her day began on Saturday and everybody else's ended on that Saturday. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So for her, the only, only way to make it work was that she began her week starting with worship. That's how I remember it, but don't quote me on that. Um, so again, that's not here. This is just establishing that Sabbath is holy, but again, we get this deeper discussion of how does one worship later on? Does that help? And how do you put somebody to death? That's the other I mean, problem. There, there's, <laughs> there's a couple of tablets that are just about to be handed to them right yeah. after we say that. And beat them with them, I guess. I, uh, and without being facetious, uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy give you specific instructions on how to kill somebody. <laughs> Most of it had to deal with stones. That gets you around Torah. Yeah. Yeah, Torah. When you the get Ten it, Commandments. Yeah, that, that that's what happens. I mean, this is this is definitely not a Ten Commandment thing, right? Um, but when you get to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, like someone committing adultery, everyone throws a stone. You don't get a choice. Which is why it's so radical when Jesus says, For all of you that are without sin, please cast the first stone. I dare you. <laughs> like that's huge. But that's that was supposed to have happened all the time. Now, here's the part that's really weird. So that was more of a, sorry, throwing a rock at the established Jewish law. Yes. It was yeah. actually just calling them out. Because it, it wasn't a Ten Commandment. Yeah. Right? Put them to death. So you're saying that it's okay that you get to take the Ruach away of someone breathing um, and you get to play God. Jesus is very adamantly opposed to that language. I always just went the other way that everybody has sin. I mean, yeah, and he was just yeah, well, saying, well, there's nothing wrong with it, Robert. We're Christians. It's, for us, that's that's the thing that we recognize is that we're not perfect. For Jews, they already know they're not perfect. Their job is to maintain the to maintain the earth until our very last birth. Um, but for Christians, that's that's our whole bread and butter is to have that conversation. So they have this huge discussion of <clears throat> now we've got the tabernacle created. Here's who's going to put it together. Here's how Sabbath becomes holy. And then, 
Oh, and now we have the tablets. Now we have our two stone tablets. Which um, was all done back in 20 and 21. Right. We're doing it again. We're doing it again. So are they going to tell us where to put them? Uh, not yet. Not yet. No. Okay. <laughs> so, but there's this anyway. But they yeah. did back in 21 so, already. So, yeah. So the, the part I always get confused is, is okay, see up on top of the mountain or see on the bottom now? And, and then 32 says, oh, well, this is why he's still up on the mountain. Which is so weird. Because uh, you think he's down at the bottom at this point. No, this whole conversation. He's still is, up there. He's, he's, still he's been up there since chapter 20. That's right. He's been up there since chapter 20. No wonder they say it's a long time. That's right. Except I thought it was supposed to be 40 days. But anyway. Nope. So here it comes. Uh, chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long uh, in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered against Aaron and said to him, Come, make us. Uh, a God who shall go before us for that man, Moses, who brought us from the land of Egypt. We do not know what has happened to him. Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that his own brother, that the guy that they're getting ready to make the high priest, <laughs> take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took off the gold rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then he took from them and cast in a mold and made it into a molten calf. And they exclaimed, this is your God, O Israel. Notice it's a little G, uh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron announced, tomorrow shall be a festival of the Lord. Early next day, uh, the people offered up burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. They sat down to eat and drink and then rose to dance. The Lord spoke to Moses, hurry down. For your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have acted basely. Uh, they have been quick to turn aside from the way that I enjoined upon them. Uh, they have made themselves a molten calf and bowed low to it and sacrificed to it, saying, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord, uh, the Lord further said to Moses, I see that this is a stiff-necked people. What does your say? Stiff-necked. That's, that's exactly what it should be in translation. Now let me be that my anger may blaze forth against them, that I may destroy them and make of you a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God, saying, Let not your anger, O Lord, blaze forth against your people, whom you delivered from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Let not the Egyptians say it was with the evil intent that, it, that he delivered them, only to kill them off in the mountains and annihilate them from the face of the earth. Turn from your blazing anger and renounce the plan to punish your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, how you, uh, how you swore to them by yourself and said to them, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring this whole land of which I spoke to possess forever. And the Lord renounced the punishment, and he, he had planned to bring upon his people. Thereupon, Moses turned and went down from the mountain, bearing the two tablets of covenant. Tablets inscribed on both their surfaces. They were inscribed on one side, oh, on one side and on the other. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing. Incised upon the tablets, when Josh, Joshua heard the sound of the people and its boisterous, boisterousness, he said to Moses, there is a cry of war in the camp. But he answered, it is not the sound of the tune of the triumph or the sound of the tune of defeat. It is the sound of song that I hear. 
As, so, as soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, he became enraged. And he hurled the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it. He ground it to powder and strewed it upon the water and so made the Israelites drink it. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? Aaron said, let not my Lord be enraged. You know that this people is bent on evil. <laughs> this people. I didn't do anything. It was all them. Sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> they said to me, make us a God to lead us for that man, Moses, who brought us from the land of Egypt. We do not know what has happened to him. So I said to them, whoever has gold, take it off. They gave it to me and hurled it into the fire and out of came this cat. Listen to how that, he said that. <laughs> they threw it at me. And it came into the fire, and out came this calf. Forget about making the mold. I didn't make the mold, right? <laughs> it was the a, fire did it. The fire did it. Moses saw that the people were out of control since Aaron had let them out of control, uh, so that they were a menace to anyone who might oppose them. Moses stood up in the gate of the camp and said, "Whoever is for this is for the Lord. Come here." And all the Levites rallied to him. Oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> he said to them, thus said the Lord, the God of Israel, each of you put sword on high, go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay brother, neighbor and kin. The Levites did as Moses had bidden and some 3,000 of the people fell that day. And Moses said, dedicate yourselves to the Lord this day for each of you has been against son and brother that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. The next day, Moses said to the people, you've been guilty of a great sin, yet I will now go up to the Lord. Perhaps I may win forgiveness for your sin. Moses went back to the Lord and said, alas, this people is guilty of a great sin in making for themselves a God of gold. Now, if you will forgive their sin, well and good, but if not, erase me from the record which you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, he who has sinned against me, him only will I erase from my record. Go now, lead the people from where I told you. See, my angels shall go before you, but when I make an accounting, I will bring them account for their sins. Then the Lord sent a plague upon the people for what they had done with the calf that Aaron had made. Okay, we'll just pause there. There's a whole bunch. <laughs> so Moses told the people to go and kill their brothers and the Levites. Ah. One tribe. Mm-hmm. And they did. So that's one way they killed them. They used a sword. Mm -hmm. Moses told them to do it. So he talks God out of killing them, and then he goes and has them killed. <laughs> yeah. And so then these the are the ones that are supposed to lead the people in the spiritual worship. And then the Lord sent the plague because there weren't enough killed with that mm -hmm. 3,000. And you start to see where Christians automatically go, God is a wrathful God. Yeah, right. <laughs> like this is... And, and, and Moses is not the only one who tries to talk him out of killing a whole bunch of people. Somebody, the other people do that well, too. A Abraham tries to talk him out of it. And, uh, when is it Abraham? Abraham, that when they, he was going to do Sodom and Gomorrah. That's right. If you find a hundred people or right, gets all fifty the or where he gets down to fifty, and then it turns out there's only lot in his family right. not anywhere 50 and it's really only three of them because it's only lot and his two daughters that ever escape that's true because his, his wife started yeah so <laughs> moses is negotiating with god in this 
Yeah, and he's not the only one who does. So it sounds like God is mad and that somebody has to talk him out of it. Aaron's talking to Moses and he calls him Lord, little L. Uh And then later on, Moses is talking about the Lord, big L. Yep. I mean, and I understand Lord is not God. Right. It's It's a servant's title for your master just interesting that they're going back and forth with because I, same I, word in different meanings yeah i don't know that we understand it is <laughs> <It's> where <laughs> i'm headed at no and and the, the other part about this is folks I, i've really got to point it out is, is that it's an establishing a formula of a prophet mm-hmm. who speaks on behalf of israel the prophet how what does the prophet do speaks on behalf and then speaks to the people of israel this is what God has told me. This is what you have to do. Okay, you didn't do it. Now I got to go back to God. <laughs> There's this, this is establishing this dialogue that prophets. Was I mean, Moses is. And it was judges before that. That's right. Was, and the judges, and, and, and the judges were interesting. Well, and it's another conversation. Yeah, but the judges, there someday. The, the judges have this whole process that they go through, but prophets, pr- prophetic language, this is. I'm making a big deal out of this because when we talk about the phrase Mashiach, there's nothing wrong with that. Messiah and Mashiach are very closely related, but Mashiach means this leader of these people that's prophetic, that's challenging, that speaks on behalf, and ultimately turns them around into something different. Here you have this language with Moses comes down from the mountain. He's so mad. He throws the tablets that God gave to the people on the ground and shatters them. Then takes this altar, melts it, then throws it in the water and makes the people of Israel ingest their sin. Did you catch that part? Ingest their sin. I didn't know what gold would do to your insides. That's right. I can't (laughs) even imagine. But in that that moment, you you now see uh, someone that's moving beyond profit to someone that's moving the people into a different place but it's establishing this formula of writing because by the time you get to jeremiah oh well you get to any of the prophets first samuel for example samuel has these conversations with god from an early age and somebody has to be the intermediary between god and humans because in leviticus and deuteronomy we establish that nobody can hear the voice of god without dying uh, it's it's the whole thing and the only ones that can hear it are the prophets so that's kind of awesome i and this is just personal problem with me i will never i don't think understand god having anger i mean good i mean now, now the flip side is, you know, I, I acknowledge that he loves us. Yeah. I just, and then for a man to be able to negotiate with him is just. Oh, yeah, you're I mean, Protestant. I, <laughs> I, I don't see how anything we can say would ever change his mind. Here's, I'm going to challenge that idea for just a second, because this is kind of what's happening here. When we have a hard time going on in our life, the church encourages you to do what? Pray. Pray. To pray. So what is a prayer then? It's a conversation with God. 
Mm-hmm. Over what? Whatever. Whatever. I mean, <laughs> well, you think about it on Sunday mornings. We ask God to heal. Huh? Heal. Heal. Forgive. Forgive. We usually ask for something we want, whether, uh, it, be, well, whether, whether it be healing or, I mean, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. But, and, but it's not beyond asking for a new job or, no. you know. And, and none of those things that we ever said were necessarily bad. It's when you do it for, you know, your own selfish reasons that, that we, we try to discourage, but we don't tell you you can't. Like, you know, the goal for us as Christians becomes this idea that Jesus gives us the ability to all of us being able to speak to God at one time. I, I guess what I'm trying, and I'm going to just use Moses here. I, I struggle believing that Moses can convince God that he's uh, wrong. Oh yeah, no, they, I mean, they did too. You know, it, you, you can petition, you can pray, yeah, but but to you know say, oh, you shouldn't do it. Then he goes and does the very same thing. But yeah, I I think the I think the reason it's written is because they struggle with the idea that he was being being able to speak on behalf of an entire nation, like. How does this person get elevated and not us? I'm a good person. I try the best I possibly can. Why am I any different than Moses? And, and why did Aaron not get struck down in all this? Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Aaron's the one that leads the whole way. He creates the mold and puts the golden cap together. Yeah. He's the one who tells him, bring him the gold. This is yep. what. And, and then he says, it's going to be a Sabbath. And so bring your offerings and we'll worship. And don't they turn around and do the very same yeah. thing with the ark that they wanted to do with the calf? Yeah. Isn't the ark, I mean, because yeah. they said the calf to go before us. And that's what they do with the ark is it goes before them. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But then the ark was God's idea and the calf was their idea. Well, we have just enough time that we could read all the way up to verse five and push pause, well, verse six, um, and then start up again next week. Uh, no, we can't start up next week, but I'll tell you about that. Be gone. Yeah. So let's let's start there because this is this still has some of what you're discussing, Robert, like this idea that God can be super angry at us and someone speaks on our behalf continues to be a dialogue that they have forever. It's the same problem that we face today. So, uh, but this is the original. I would say this is the beginning of that conversation. So then the Lord said to Moses, set out from here, you and the people that you have brought up from the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, will I give it? I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go into your midst since you are a stiff-necked people, (laughs) lest I destroy you on the way. When the people heard this harsh word, they went into mourning and none put on his finery. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelite people, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go into your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now then leave off your finery and I will consider what to do to you. So the Israelites remained stripped of their finery from Mount Horeb on. Uh, no, we have to keep going. So then now Moses would take the tent and pitch it outside the camp at some distance from the camp. It was called the tent of meeting. 
And whoever sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each at the entrance of his own tent, and gaze after Moses until he had entered the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, get ready, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent while he spoke with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of uh, cloud, pillar of cloud poised at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and bow low at the entrance of his tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face uh, as one man speaks to another. And he would then return to the camp. But his attendant, Joshua, son of Nun, a youth, would not stir out of the tent. Moses, I have to stop there. So I just pause right there because it's 954. But uh, so now we're creating not this. You, you see, this is different than prophetic personality. God literally appears on earth in the pillar of a cloud and, and covers him from the people as he speaks on behalf. And notice that they've elevated him to something royal. He walks by their tent. They all stand up and they bow as he walks by. They've almost, I don't want to use this language, but they've almost created a king in their midst, which is what they would they do. They just rose and stood. They didn't bow down until, oh, then, until, until the cloud they, came. Until yeah. the cloud came. But still, this idea that he, they all stand as soon as he walks by, that's, that's royalty. That's a big deal. And then when the pillar of cloud comes, they know that the presence of God is there. And then they bow low because now he is being, he is being transformed. It's one of those things I would love to have been a little mouse. Right? <laughs> and just be there to witness that. That'd be cool. I, I think it's neat. Wouldn't they have already bestowed that on Moses, though? I mean, they've, they followed him out of Egypt. Yeah, I mean. He's, I, I don't know how he's. I, don't, I can't grasp how he could get any higher than he already was. Maybe he's kind of a prince and how he's like the king. Because he had 3,000 of them killed. One step. I mean, of course, now they're getting to see what happened, I guess, on the mountain. I mean, yeah. God's coming down. And yeah, this has changed. Now it's, it's not a mystery. Now it's full into their face. And you can't, I mean, I can't call it pillar of cloud. You know, there's no, no matter what I do. Joshua was in the tent the whole time. Yeah, I, mean, I wonder so if anybody got kind of, I mean, why was he in the tent? Was he? Well, you got you got to have your next we haven't, leader. We haven't had him yet, though, had we? Yeah, yeah. They mentioned him a couple of times. They mentioned him just a little bit ago. Oh, okay. And um, and then he said something to him before he went back up the mountain. I can't remember what it was, but. But yeah, so we're, we're creating the, the, the next in line. So I wonder what Aaron thinks about this. Or Moses. Well, Aaron doesn't matter because yeah. Aaron's job is totally spiritual. Of course, Moses hasn't been told yet, has he? Nope. Well, I mean, we don't even have an Genesis. idea what this promised land is yet. Like, that's how far <laughs> away beyond we are. It's wherever those his eyes are. Yeah. It's yeah. Funny. There was, there's something, for some reason, I was, I was rereading Noah, I think something was in the Sunday school lesson that referred to one of those guys and it got me interested and I looked them up and they, they were these people, um, Jebusites, uh -huh. Amazites, Hittites, <coughs> one of the other ones, maybe 
that several of those were, yeah, they were the, they were the descendants of Ham. Yep. So, so those are the ones he says are going to be killed so that these people can go in. Right. <laughs> of course, I don't remember that he said anything to Noah beyond they were going to live and everybody else was going to die. So. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm going to just kind of push stop there only because I don't want to open up the next can of worms that comes along <laughs> with this. Um, because yeah, we're we're starting to get a. You're starting to see specific changes with Moses. He has now gone from leader uh, to priest, well, to prophet, um, to teacher, and now now he's a priest. Now, so like whatever he's doing is super holy. Um, <laughs> he's he is now being elevated into such a way that we even get to the point that we call these first five books, the books of Moses, right? Like, I mean, it's, this is a big deal. Now we all have established that the idea is more important than the, the reality of what happens. So this is elevating him. And as you all are catching, Joshua uh, ends up becoming the one that inherits all of this. Um, and so he has to be included, but his, his journey is, very different uh, than than most. Uh, um, uh, it's it's not. He didn't even walk softly. He definitely did not walk softly, and and uh, he he is he's a totally different dude. Um, and then and then and Joshua then ends up, I think, whereas in Moses is creating moments of peace. Do y'all catch that? Like he's trying to create a place where the tribes interact with one another in the midst of others. Joshua takes it to another level. Now that we're all working together, now we're going to work together to fight against other people. And this Joshua becomes a, a lesson for the Hebrew culture in where when we listen to God, what is godly and what is not, and is usually human. Um, I I never did get to ask this question when I was in school because it was too it's too easy to sit there and go, why Josh? Josh was totally fascinated on Joshua. But um <laughs> I all I remember was this when I was a kid, I loved that song, Joshua Fit the Battle, Battle of Jericho. Jericho. It was, you know, it's well, after my name. And, and my dad always said that he named me after uh that he because he was really into that idea of Yeshua being the, the same name and as Jesus and all this other stuff. And, uh, um, but I remember when I got into college, uh, the first time and I read the book of Joshua in a different lens, realizing, uh, yeah, I don't have that name at all anymore. Like, <laughs> he's, he was not a, a, a person I want to hang out with. Um, and that, and that battle of Jericho is I'm, I'm celebrating mass genocide <laughs> over, over with seven trumpets and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this whole thing changes. And when we get into that story, like this is the reason I'm ending it this way. When you get into that story, you, you kind of get the idea that God's saying, yeah, you don't really have to do this, but since you're going to be there on the other side, because Moses would have probably just walked around Jericho to get to Jerusalem, right? <laughs> the easy way. The easy way. <laughs> Moses would have taken another 10 years to get around and it'd been fine. No, nope, Joshua sees it on the other side. No, nope, we're going to go ahead and Joshua decides 
we're going to blow up Jericho. And God says, okay, let's show them how it's done. Right. And then, so the story changes. And so for me, Joshua being in the tent with Moses as the pillar of cloud is coming down and he speaks on behalf of Israel, I really struggle with, uh, but we'll get into that later. So is that when the tribes come together? Because they're yeah. still separate. I mean, when they yes. went out and was killing the 3,000, they're going from group to group to group. I mean. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the 12 tribes end up coming together. They form this massive army. Uh, this military thing happens. And then you get all the way up to King David and Saul. Well, Saul is the general of these armies. And so by that point, the 12 tribes are working together. And then all that breaks fall apart. Well, they just aren't together yet. No, I mean, no, they're still still struggling with who they are. Well, that we're going to end here and we'll start up with chapter 33, verse uh, 12 next week. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks.